The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, hello again and welcome back. And thank you for joining us again for another time. We're in the Word of God in our daily live stream devotional. Uh, we're so grateful you've taken just a couple minutes today to join us, whether you're at work or listening to this later, our home. We just greatly appreciate the privilege to be in your home. I would encourage you, we've mentioned this once or twice, uh, if, you, if you listen to this, usually most people, a lot of people like it through audio podcasts instead of necessarily video, so maybe they can listen to their car, things of that nature. I encourage you to... Um, to, to go to it's, the three places we currently have it on is Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and TuneIn, which, which means through TuneIn you can find it. Say if you have Amazon Alexa, you can just tell it to play Source of Truth, and the podcast will come up. And so those three are there. We've been working on Google Play, surprisingly having an issue with Google Play due to a Gmail account issue, uh, but we'll get it there as well. Uh, but we try to get out in the audio format, and uh, so if that's an encouragement, you can maybe subscribe, write a review, share it with friends. We greatly appreciate that. Also, we um, on YouTube, our church YouTube channel, uh, Ben Salem Baptist Church, um, uh, our face, the church's Facebook page. Uh, these things are on there if you want to go back and uh, share that with your friends or um, like our church page or subscribe to our channel through YouTube. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. The more people that come on, there's extra benefits with it. And uh, so if you haven't done that, we encourage you to do that. Share it with friends and to share this along. If hopefully if it's a help to you, uh, maybe it can be a help to someone else as well. Uh, we do know that there are several in our area and our church that are part of this. We also know that uh, as has been shared uh, through my Facebook page and others, many people across the country have made comments of just encouragement from this. And so we appreciate the, you sharing it and hope we continue to be an encouragement. We're going to go back to Proverbs 9 again. Last time, we referenced this conflict at the beginning of chapter 9 at the end of chapter 9 between a life following wisdom and a life following sin. And obviously wisdom is, is, um, is, is she, really we're talking about following Jesus, following Jesus and his wisdom and his, the direction he puts in our life. And so that's what we're going to glance at today. And I really, I want to I focus off this thinking. And um, it's a thinking that most of us probably would never ask Honestly, when I say honestly, we would never go to someone and say, you know, in my heart I think this, let me ask you this question. Because, uh, you know, especially if you grew up in church, now, if, if, you're, if you're newly saved or you're not saved yet and you're still struggling and seeking the truth, uh, this question will make a little more sense to you. For us, those of us who grew up in church or been around church, uh, we kind of feel like this would be a bad question and make us look bad. The question is something along the ideas, is sin really that bad? I mean, honestly, it's fun. There's some fun parts to it. Uh, I'm not really hurting anybody else. Um, really, if I have a good time, is it really that big of a deal? And uh, I mean, the world's okay with it. I mean, there's a lot of Christians okay with it. it is it really that bad? Is it really that big of a deal? And, uh, and legitimately, this is Satan's lie. He puts into our mind and begins to justify, begins, there's questions that come into our mind. And, and let me be careful when I say it's an understandable question because that's something our flesh does. I, I want to go back and take a second and remind us, if you remember the Apostle Paul made an interesting um, conversation about his own, he was a bit transparent about his own struggle. And uh, it's one of those sections where when you read it, you're like, man, where did he go with this? What was he meaning? But basically what he said, the things that I should do, the good stuff, those are the things that I don't. 
the things that I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. He goes, the, those things that I shouldn't do, the sin, those are the things I find myself battling, wanting to do or doing. The things that I should do, the good things, man, those are the things in me that I don't want to do or I don't do. And so there's this internal battle between the flesh, which when we use the word flesh, we're talking about that that. That human side of us, it's always been there since the day we were born. That part where the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked, that part's that wants to do wrong. And then there's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes into us on the day of salvation. And there's this battle. We, my flesh still wants to do wrong, but the Spirit encourages me to do right. Now, I don't think the courage, you know, Spirit guilts us or beats us up. He just he gives us a voice. He encourages us to do right. He challenges us. Uh, and by the way, it's a whole lot more than some would say, well, it's just my conscience. It's not our, our conscience is that part that's kind of developed through morality, how we're reared. If you're reared in a home that, uh, in a rough home, your conscience would be very different than say mine and I grew up in a relatively uh, strict conservative Christian home where I was taught morals in a certain direction my conscience would be different than others, uh, a little more sensitive than some depending on what, where you grew up. So if you grew up in a home that really was a, you know, a little more structured or uh, had a lot of rules, you're going to find your conscience is different. So this is not necessarily a level of conscience where it is literally the Holy Spirit trying to point us in the right direction and guide us and, and, and encourage us. But I want to look a little bit at what Solomon said in Proverbs because there's these two extremes. Now, we read the beginning, the first few verses yet last time, about wisdom. Wisdom built her house. She has hewn out the seven pillars. Verse 2, she has killed her beast. She has mingled her wine. She hath also furnished the table. We mentioned that wisdom is describing the idea of that there is good life. There is enjoyment. There's pleasure. There's good in following Jesus and serving Jesus and doing right. There's good with that. Uh, but we also look at the other side. Let's go look at the other extreme and in verse 13 of chapter 9 where it says, A foolish woman is clamorous. She's simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city. She call to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that our guests are in the depths of hell. So let, let me start off with saying what happens is, is there's this internal battle. But here uh, there is this argument for sin. The argument to do right. The or argument to do wrong. The argument that sin's not a problem. And in today's culture, we'd find that you believe this. Oh, you're weird, man. Are, are you crazy? Uh, for instance, when I... Um, first started working. I'd worked in, I've been kind of working in different jobs since I was about 13. And when we lived in Michigan, there was a gentleman at our church that owned a grocery store about a mile from our church. And so he allowed me uh, to go down there and bag groceries kind of on the side. And then I moved up here and I, I worked with a friend of mine and we worked in landscaping and lawn care. Well, uh, they did landscaping. I just cut grass and carried stuff around. They, they knew what they were doing. I was just the grunt work, but enjoyed it. And it was a great chance to make some money. Uh, but the really first time I ever got, if you want to say, out, out of that into a secular field was when I worked at Chick-fil-A. And I'll be honest, see, that's a Christian environment. Yeah, at least the company is. The one I was in was very much not Christian in environment at all. In fact, it's just the exact opposite. It was the first time I've ever, I was offered drugs. First time I was offered alcohol and cigarettes. First time I was offered... Uh, um, sex, the first time I was offered um, to be someone to get me into the bar, you know, even though I was at that time, I think, 16. So uh, it was just a very different world. We went there thinking, what a great opportunity, Christian environment. Uh, but I'll never forget, as one night, there was a big debate and talk 
as I'm sitting there, and I, I was really just trying to remain quiet. I didn't want to make a big deal about this. Honestly, I was a tad bit nervous as the guys were talking about um, their dating lives. And it really came down to some were talking which ones are virgins, which ones were not. And one of them jokingly said, I bet he's not. And they'd found out that at that point I was a virgin. And uh, boy, it, I thought, no big deal. Yeah, that's not a problem. No, man, they, they began to torture me. They, they mocked me. Uh, they called me all kinds of names and things like that. And I, they didn't desire me to change anything, but I found it to be frustrating. Why? Because what I found was... The world, I grew up in a home where, hey, you did this, this is good. I went to church, this was good. Uh, Christian school, this is good. Then I get out into the world in a Christian environment per se, and there was nothing but mocking, saying, hey, I can't believe you do this. Man, this is fun, this is awesome, you must be weird, you must be sick, you must be this, you must be that. Man, I tell you, there was a lot of things thrown my way um, as a result of some of the silliness. And, and so when I, when I look at that, I see very similar to what's happening here, where sin is sold as great, and anybody not involved in it is sold as weird. There's something wrong with you. And that's what Satan wants you to believe. There's nothing wrong. But I will say that taking a stand for right and standing against sin, sometimes we will have to stand alone. That doesn't make it wrong. I wish I could say in a Christian environment, even a church, it's always true. It's not. I went to Christian school. Many times I had to stand alone. I've worked in ministry for 20 years. There's been times I stood alone. When you stand against sin, there may be time to stand alone. That doesn't make it wrong. Is it lonely sometimes? Yes, but it doesn't make it wrong. You really don't stand alone because you stand with God. I'd rather stand alone with God than stand with friends or others against God. So let's look at these verses and kind of break them down again. Verse 13, Proverbs says, a foolish woman is clamorous, really loud, you know, obnoxious, you know, and, and unfortunately, let, let me give you one other application of point. Why does Solomon keep jumping, you know, to the woman? You know, I, I want, you know, one time years ago, a woman asked me, how come God never gets on the trashy guys? How come it's always a foolish woman? How come it's always that? Well, uh, simply put, remember, this was written predominantly, at least initially, to his son. So he's using the temptations that a man would deal with as a result. So you can make the application broader easily, but in context, he was talking to his son, so he's using the idea of a foolish woman and the dangers that come behind it. And if anybody knew about that, it'd be Solomon, 700 wives and three and a concubines, he would know. But a foolish woman's clamor is loud, and sometimes people see that as fun. They're, they're fun-loving, they're flirtatious, they get your attention, and that can attract a guy. Uh, but it's dangerous. Uh, so a foolish woman is loud and, uh, and outgo overly outgoing. I'm not saying shy is always the best way. I'm not saying that I'm being friendly is wrong, but this is loud. A very, very big difference. She is simple and knoweth nothing. Think about that. She's simple, knoweth nothing. She screams and hollers, and she can offer you, this lifestyle can offer you a lot. It's loud, it's clamorous, it's chaotic, um, but it's simple, and it knows nothing. Uh, there's no wisdom behind it. There's no truth behind it. She says, hey, just go do whatever. So let's move on. Uh, this woman sitteth at the door of her house and on the seat in the high places of the city. She's, she's seen. She's seen in the door. She's seen in places. And by the way, in this time, that was very much, especially in the Bible, very much you did not do. A woman was to be, whether right or wrong, was to be in secret. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, and by the way, I think in American culture where women have been, uh, human culture, where women have been put behind Christianity is one of the things that has brought greater strength for women. And, and, and But we look at this, because I think sometimes we can look at Scripture and say, oh man, they pull women down. It's just the opposite. But the culture of the day, uh, the idea of a woman to be standing out in a place where she can be seen and talking was, was very scandalous, if I can use that word. Um, so, 
She sitteth at the door. She's very obvious. She, the sin is screaming out. Why was she there? Verse 15, to call passengers who go right on their way, to, to grab these people and pull them into this life of sin. So he goes, now listen, who responds? Verse 16, whoever or whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. So simply said, listen, if you're not wise enough to see what's going on, if you're not seeking the wisdom that we see in the beginning of chapter 9 and all the way through Proverbs to this point, if you're not willing to be taught, if you re, like we talked about last time, if, if you're a scorner and you don't like reprove and, and you're going to do your own thing and you don't care, you're simple, you're going to turn in. It sounds like fun, cool. You don't, you're so simple you don't even see the destruction and damage that come from it. Ah, it looks good. And they're going to say... What you need to hear, because Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's watching you. So he will use the language that you need to hear to attract you to what's going on. So whoever's simple and ignorant, they're going to turn in. But, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. So for those who want truth, want, hey, why would I do that? What's good? To an extent, there's a debate there. Verse 17, she and sin kind of debate. Show the good of sin. Verse 17, soul and waters are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So here's the idea. You can go home and get, get this yourself. But man, when you get it from something you shouldn't have, it's great. Simply put, things you shouldn't have always seem to be better, seem to be more fun, seem to taste better. Uh, a, a dessert before dinner is better than after dinner. It's just the way it is, right? Um, it's like... If I, if I don't get caught, it seems more fun. Hey, I know I shouldn't do this, but there's something about doing something you're not supposed to do that leaves a level of intrigue. Well, what, what was it that intrigued Eve to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so much in the garden? Was it because it was better fruit than anything else? I, I dare say it was not near as good as all the other fruit that was available, all the other things available to Eve in this utopian garden of Eden. Why was it attractive to her? Simply this reason she was told not to have it. And things we can't have just intrigue us. Why? Why can't we have it? Example, Christians who grew up in a Christian home and Christian school and they've been, they've been isolated or insulated from the world. There's something intriguing about the things they've been told to stay away with. It's dangerous. It's silly. But if we're not careful, it'll drive us in that wrong way. So be careful. He goes, listen, they're great. And bread eaten in secret places where do things where, where you're not. So you're kind of hiding. It seems to be more fun. Verse 18, but he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that our guests are in the depths of hell. This simple man, or one who's still kind of swaying, has no idea that, man, it may be fun, it seems fun, and it might be a little intriguing. Our flesh desires these things. But we don't really realize that in her house are death, her guests are in the depths of hell. Simply put, when you get in and you're all done and you begin to see what's going on with whatever temptation's driven you to do, you understand the pain, the guilt, the destruction that comes with it. Here's how I want to look at this. In the first few verses of Proverbs 9, there's a discussion how wisdom buildeth, gives an offer, one commentator, an offer of entertainment, good life. There is good out there. But then there's the, but sin offers the same thing. Can I tell you that sin, sin offers something that seems to be intriguing because of we shouldn't do it. Wisdom offers something that in our natural mind, because we can do it, doesn't seem as intriguing, but the end to our flesh at least, but the end is so much more pleasant. You can enjoy those same things at the right time and God's will in his infounding wisdom without the grief, without the pain. And, and the world and culture is chased after these lies of sin in the, in the last section of this chapter. And I felt pain. I've watched them. 
I've watched teenagers and I've watched people as they follow these lies that ultimately brought nothing but pain. Oh, may we see that God loves us and what he wants to offer us is so much better than anything Satan of this world wants to offer us. So much more pleasant, so much more forgiving, and so much more fulfilling if we're willing to follow that. Would you be that? Listen, our, our, our mind's always going to be intrigued by the wrong. We're always going to be tempted to do that. And, and for, in John, it says, and every man is tempted when he's drawn, or James, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his, by his own lust and enticed. But when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't look at it what it looks like now. Look beyond what will it become if I'm fooled by this. Thanks for joining us. I, I mean, time, anytime you talk about sin, people sit back, I don't want to talk about it. Can I encourage you? It can be very edifying because there's part of us that wants it. We need to be encouraged and cheered to stay away from that and follow where God wants us because that's where victory, that's where grace, that's where peace, that's where freedom comes from. And I encourage you to be on that direction. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning and giving us another opportunity, giving me another opportunity to be part of your day. I encourage each other with this. Stand strong in Jesus and trust that his way is the best, the most pleasant, and he will honor you as you follow him. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great rest of your day.